0: Together now in God's Word to Matthew chapter eighteen, verses fifteen through twenty. Welcome again those who are visiting with us as we continue to go through the book of Matthew together today, picking up in verse fifteen. Hear now the word of God. If your brother sins against you, go. There am I among them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Beloved in Christ, the church is both a people and a place, a people who have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of the gospel of Jesus, transferred from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of Jesus. It's also a place where people gather, wherever it is, in a building that we rent in a building, Lord willing, that we, will, we own and, and meet in Edina. It's a place that's shepherded and cared for by pastors and elders and deacons. It comes together for worship and fellowship and discipleship and outreach, as Dale prayed. And it's a place in particular with three marks that need to be there for a church to be a true church. You see that on page five of your outline. What are the three marks of a true church? The Belgic Confession reminds us the pure preaching of the gospel, the proper administration of the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. And yes, the right exercise of church discipline. We discipline our children because we love them. The Lord disciplines us, His children, because He loves us as our Heavenly Father. And the reasons for church discipline are both positive positive. And negative, maybe you've been in a place where this happened horribly wrong. Most likely, people have been in places where this doesn't happen at all. That's more common today in the American church. Positively, church discipline is to train us for maturity, 2 Timothy 3. All of Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. So the call to live holy lives as those who are in Christ, to attend to the means of grace, word, and sacrament, and prayer is a positive use of this. When the elders visit the families of the church, they are there to encourage them and to love them. When we do catechism with our kids at home and in Sunday school, this is the positive use of this, that we would become more like Christ negatively, church discipline exists to correct and punish sins. What happens if we don't do this? Well, what happens in a family without discipline? You know this. Absolute chaos. Confusion. You see that in 1 Corinthians. The key is this. Is the way a person is living consistent with what they profess to believe? Not perfect. But a true Christian lives in gratitude as they trust in Jesus. Revelation 2 talks about the danger of what happens without discipline. The church in Ephesus, it says, will have the lampstand of Jesus removed. Their love for each other and Christ had grown, grown cold, and that did happen, beloved. So today we want to look at the biblical command and process that Jesus gives for church discipline we can't possibly cover every situation there are nuances and you might say well why didn't you talk about this or that please speak with a trusted christian a good christian counselor look at ken sandy the peacemaker resources there are good things out there that we can't cover today but as janine brown tells us here's the big picture where we are jesus is speaking about disciples do you remember who are preoccupied with their status. He's saying, focus on others, not yourself. Jesus is amongst you, Emmaus Road. First, the process begins privately, one on one. Do you remember the parable last week? You've got 99 sheep that are really enjoying life together, and you've got one who's wandered. Who would go after that one? Jesus would, Jesus does, he is the good shepherd, and so does his church, modeling that example. If he finds it, do you remember that? There's no guarantee he will. If he doesn't, meaning if this one doesn't repent, that's where Matthew 18, 15 to 20 picks up, that this one who might not be a believer would be brought to repentance and saved from destruction. The picture changes from a little one who's a sheep to a little one who's a brother. And where you hear brother here, brother or sister, remember that. So it's a Christian, man or woman, boy or girl, and this brother has offended you, or sister. The history of the fallen world we live in since Adam and Eve sin, is a history of Hatfields and McCoys, of Cains and Abels, of going after each other. Brothers, you might go after each other in a home. Sisters, brothers and sisters, so family relationships. And the same is true in churches or neighborhoods among Christians. The unbeliever hardens their heart when they are offended. They refuse to forgive. There was a question asked recently, why are people leaving the church so often in 2023? A lot of reasons. One is, We're so busy. Work and life and just everything. But I think drilling down a bit more, there's something else in the heart here. Church conflict across churches and denominations. Conflict is not necessarily bad or destructive. We need to pray, God, get the Minnesota nice out of me. (laughs) Right? It's godly and it's the work of the Spirit when relationships in conflict are reconciled. If your brother sins against you in the covenant community, not irritates you, not has a different preference than you, not a difference of of opinion, but a sin. How is sin defined by the law of God? This brother who sins is in danger of forfeiting salvation, and the one sinned against is also in danger here of being consumed with bitterness anger, and possibly falling under the same sin as the brother who's sinning. This is a personal, private offense that Jesus is speaking of. Elsewhere he'll talk, like Peter and Paul, a public issue at Galatia, or 1 Corinthians 5, with that man who has his father's wife in a horrid immorality. Here it's private. If, now don't When you see if, don't think, well, maybe this will happen. This happens. It's expected. We must not have a more utopian view of the church than Jesus does. He's saying Christians, expect relationships to be frayed. Expect sin to happen among you. There's no perfect church this side of glory. We are justified yet sinful. There will be conflict in the church. Don't be fatally discouraged by it. Relationships are imperfect. Here's Calvin. So what do you do? I love what he says here. Christ bids us disciples to forgive one another in such a way as nevertheless to try and correct one another's faults. We fall, all of us, on one ditch here or the other. Some are so forgiving, but they never want to raise a spiritual concern with anyone. Others are ready to confront at the moment anything seems to offend them. Jesus is saying, you've got to be prepared to do both by the power of the Spirit of God. Emmaus wrote, as we move into a new church building, as we thank God for four years here with Bob and others, Satan wants to use these opportunities to divide us. First of all, over preferences, the color of the carpet. Some of you don't like the carpet color there. Some of you might not like the particular thing that's here or there. And it's good to have opinions that are fine, and it's okay to disagree on them without becoming disagreeable. Satan wants us to be filled with infighting and complaining, not just about a building, but about life in general. Slander holding on to grudges. Pray for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If we don't go into this new building with the Spirit of God and the gospel of God central, oh, beloved, may we not see that happen. So what do you do when someone sins against you? The first thing, if you can overlook it, overlook it. If we are going around looking at specks, With logs right here, that's a spiritual problem in my heart. Am I taking this too seriously? Am I so thin-skinned? Am I just taking everything in a way that a Christian shouldn't? Overly sensitive and overlooking is a form of forgiveness. If I overlook it, I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to bring it up. But if the offense is too serious to overlook, Jesus says, what do you do? Don't let it become World War III. Go. See that? (laughs) G-O. Not sit and sulk. Not tell someone about it and hope they carry the news that I'm offended back to that person. Not act cold and withdrawn until that person guesses that you're offended. Go. Jesus says take responsibility. But usually we don't go. In our sinful hearts, A offends B. And B refuses to go to A. Where does B go? B goes to C. And A knows something is wrong and goes to D. Now you've got all sorts of people involved. All sorts of divergences. This is like alphabet soup. Go. Go. Beloved, let me say this as a pastor, I love you all dearly. If you have something against me personally, or that I've said or done or not said or not done, please come to me. And the same is true across the body of Christ. When you go, don't just share your feelings. We go to the one to expose something to light. That's what Jesus is saying. That the Spirit of God would bring conviction. We go to them privately, confidentially, to show, you know what, this this is sin, the way you have acted. Now, we got to be careful here. We don't want to be hasty to condemn. We bring scripture, we bring evidence, and we bring gentleness, knowing that we're sinners, knowing that but for the grace of God go I, and perhaps I've done the same or worse. Ask questions. It seemed to me that you said this or did this. Am I right? Did I miss something? As you go, one on one. Can you explain what happened? Remember God's words to Adam and Eve? He asked questions when they sinned. Where are you? Who told you that you've knit you're naked? Pray for humility and wisdom as you go. Pray that you will love that person. That you won't fear man. But fear God, that you won't unnecessarily shyly avoid conflict, nor rashly rush in where angels fear to tread. Plan your words carefully. Assume the best about the person until you have facts to prove otherwise. If there is sin in a relationship in your home, Thanksgiving family, in your school, in your neighborhood, in the church, if it has caused a rift, you go to bring healing. If it comes to your mind again and again, as you're sitting here today or other times, if it keeps you up at night, if it's disrupting worship or life at school, it's time to go. As you go, listen. Do you see the word listen? It's three times in this passage. Listen carefully with your ears, with your eyes. Watch body language. Is the person tense? Is there something more that they want to say? Are they speaking with their mouth in a way that's very different from their body language? The Proverbs say, even in laughter, the heart may ache. Listen with your heart. Recognize your limits. Only God can change my heart and the person's heart if you're going to them. What's your motive? It's not to be proved right. Think about this in marriage. Let's bring it really close in. You have done pointing remembering listing not forgiving the point is not to be vindicated not to humiliate not to crush not to get revenge but what does paul what does jesus say that you might win your brother or sister back to christ that they would repent that they wouldn't be further hardened in their sin. That's why this is love, because if they continue down this road, the hardening gets worse. Sometimes someone comes as their own accuser. Maybe you've seen that. I have, rarely. If they do, that's a sign of the Holy Spirit. But most of the time, that isn't what happens. So most of the time, what happens is someone's offended. They go and they say to someone else, this is what's been done. Then maybe they come to the elders or someone else. If someone goes to you, what's the first thing you should say? Have you talked to this person? Mom and dad in the home. A son comes to you about a daughter, a daughter about a son. Have you talked to them? If he listens or she listens, you have gained your brother. But if not, secondly... What's the process? Bring one or two others with. Don't rely on human wisdom here, loved ones. Don't look within. What's the biblical principle as we look to Christ? Deuteronomy 19.15. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. Why is this important? Because it avoids a lack of integrity, a lack of honesty. It avoids misrepresentation. If it's just one witness, it's he said, she said. How do you know? How do you sort it out? Who are these two or three witnesses? Not just random people from the church directory (laughs) or from the school directory. Wise, trusted Christians. Jesus is not saying that these two or three had to have witnessed the sin. Sometimes you're the only one that witnessed the sin. But you bring two or three others, why? That they can witness the charge. If a person refuses to admit their sin, then you don't have the evidence of the two or three witnesses. But if he or she admits it happened, but refuses to repent, you have two or three witnesses to the charge. Again, the situations are many. This is not saying go alone into a situation where there's danger and violence. It's also not saying this is just the elder's job. Every disciple as a Christian is responsible here. Steps one and two are before the church Officially knows anything. Now, sometimes an elder might be one of the two or three witnesses, but this is before it's official. As you go with two or three witnesses, beloved, be prepared for unreasonable people. That's not cynical. That's recognizing the hard nature of the hardened heart. People may refuse to be reconciled, refuse to be humbled, refuse to confess their sins, Keep your Bible open and praying for the Holy Spirit. God, control my tongue. Help me to control it. Help me not to be consumed by the acid of my own bitterness. Because two or three is not the end of the process. Third. What's the third step? Telling it to the church. Don't give up. That's easy to do. Don't throw in the towel. Don't say, out of sight, out of mind. Don't say, time just heals all wounds. No big deal. If this is a sin, be patient and persevering. Tell it to the church. Old Testament, the elders would judge the case. Same is true in the New Testament, the book of Acts. Jesus is assuming here in Matthew 18, there will be elders who love and shepherd and rule and care for the church. Now it's become, the steps have become more public. There are procedures to follow, and this will really put you to sleep after Thanksgiving. I'm not going to read our church constitution, but based on the the council and the canons of Dort, based on Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, Deuteronomy 16, things should be done decently and in good order. Remembering, all of us are born dead in sin. All of us commit particular sins. All of us by ourselves are guilty before a holy God. There are different degrees of sin. Westminster Larger Catechism 150. Not every sin is equal, even as every sin deserves the wrath and curse of God. Meaning, when you have a bitter, angry thought toward a brother or sister, that's not the same as outright murdering them. Right? There's different degrees of sin. When we sin, our relationship with God and communion with Him is damaged, as it is with another Christian. Here's an example. Even if the outward result is not obvious, say a man or a woman is really struggling with lust, it might be a number of different types of lust, coveting. It's in the heart, but their relationship with their spouse will be affected. They will become callous, that man or that woman growing discontentment will mark their lives. There's an example. If he refuses or she refuses at this point, the discipline which is related to anything in doctrine or life contrary to the Word of God, the process begins in terms of the elders going through things. What does that mean? Admonition, in love, censure, erasure of name, suspension, deposition related to a pastor, or an elder, or a deacon, excommunication, restoration. This is in our Constitution, Article 114. You maybe haven't read it. This would be good to look at. So th- this is not just random. It's not the elders making stuff up. What sins in particular? The Constitution tells us. Not fully, but these are some. That merit discipline. Unrepentant. Heresy. Schism, blasphemy, adultery, fornication, lascivious wantonness, theft, fraud, perjury, lying, contentiousness, intemperance, profaning the Lord's Day, impudent scoffing, cruelty, and other violations of what? The Ten Commandments, the law of God, this is entirely based on Scripture. So when someone joins as a member of the church, we've had them recently, all of us here who have joined are saying, yeah, these men are sinners, these elders are not perfect, but I will submit as the Word of God teaches to live a life by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that shows Christ is my Lord. If the one sinning does not repent, Their profession of faith needs to be questioned. Jesus says, let them be to you a Gentile or a tax collector. How did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? He cared for them. He sat down with them, but he did not pretend that they were believers, those who weren't. God rules his kingdom by grace, but he's not permissive. He doesn't automatically bestow grace on everyone. This is not universalism. If a person insists in living on rebellion against Christ, if they don't repent, they are removed, excommuned. They don't take the Lord's Supper. They're treated as an unbeliever. They forfeited their membership in the church. It's sober. It's patient. It's not rash. It's not quick. It's deliberate. It's not impulsive. Excommunication is done tearfully, weeping, Why is this? Look at the basis in verse 18. Because of the keys of the kingdom. What do keys do? They open and close doors, kids. We all need the door of the kingdom opened by the gospel because we're all born dead in sin. So the elders, we don't see the heart, but as someone professes their faith, they are welcomed into membership of the church as community members. They profess Christ as their Savior. Someone lives in repeated Hardening and unrepentant sin, the door that closes is called church discipline. Excluded from the kingdom of God. We see that in 1 Corinthians 5. In that case where the man is involved in sexual immorality that even pagans don't do, it is immediately public, it immediately goes to the third step, the church is told because everyone knows about it. That man is handed over to Satan, not punitively, not out of harshness, but that his soul might be saved on the day of Christ. The sin is public and scandalous. It's like a cancer that will spread through the whole body if it's not biblically handled. Where's another example? Remember, why is this done? Because it's biblical. 1 Timothy 1. Hymenaeus Alexander, false teachers, have been handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. They've been removed through excommunication. Titus 3, warn a divisive person once, and then a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. Churches often have not done this well. A false teacher, a divisive person, they look great. They pretend to repent. They don't. This person is warped, sinful, and self condemned, Titus 3. And they wreak havoc across the body. Warn them once, twice, have nothing to do with them. Beloved, this weighs on your elders' hearts and minds. It keeps them up at night. As it weighs on your mind when you have a rift in a relationship. These men are not power-hungry. You know them, Dale and Drake and Dustin and Walt, who has served among us. They're humble. They love God. They love you. They want what's best for you and your families. They want us to become more like Christ. And we're not perfect. So remember in this, if a church court, elders, or classes, or synod misuses their authority, the appeal process is right there. Luther was excommunicated for defending the gospel. Church courts can and do err. They're not infallible. There is such a thing as ecclesiastical tyranny, even as, again, as I said, most people just have no even radar of what church discipline is in churches at all. Both are two ditches to avoid. So if someone's accused wrongly, they are told by the elders you can appeal to classes, the geographical churches in our denomination, to synod, the entire denomination with one elder and one deacon or one elder and one pastor their presence the keys are moral and spiritual it's declaring the word of god it's not civil right it's not armies and tanks and threatenings we declare the word of god here you know that we will not bind your conscience apart from what scripture teaches thus saith the lord the law and the gospel not our opinion Pray for us, as I know you do, that we would lovingly shepherd the flock of God under Christ, who is our chief shepherd. Because when decisions here are made, when the church, as best as it can, according to God's revealed will, renders a judgment that is in line with God's judgment himself, what does verse 18 say? We can't see the heart, but when this is done rightly... Heaven and earth are in agreement. There's concurrence. What are the goals? Fourth, repentance and restoration. Not if I offended you. I'm sorry if I. That's not a real apology. That's not true repentance. It may be necessary for a sinner to suffer the full consequences of their sin, including excommunication. It may be necessary for things to get so bad, to hit rock bottom, that finally, by the grace and spirit of God, they repent. That's the loving thing to do, loved ones. If anyone wanders from the truth, James 5, and someone brings him back, whoever brings him back saves his Soul from wandering and his soul from death and covers a multitude of sins. When there is restoration, it's done gently. The goal is peace, purity, and unity in the church. We want the name of Christ to be exalted among the neighborhoods and nations of the world. When there is horrible scandal in the church, when church discipline does not happen, the name of Christ is besmirched. The world will hate Christ. The Bible says that. But let us not, in our sin, give them a reason to. That's kind of the point, right? What's the goal? The glory of Jesus. The scandal is poison to the gospel. It must be avoided. It must be dealt with. It must not be avoided. It must be dealt with. It's easy to avoid it. In Calvin's day, you know what he said? People won't mind if the sermon doesn't go too long and if you don't meddle. And if you don't actually ask questions or care, but just kind of let them live their lives, Calvin said. Don't ask them why you haven't been to church in so long. Don't ask them how they're doing spiritually. Just kind of let them go. Let them kind of graze. Let the sheep wander. Minnesota nice. Failure to act, beloved, in a loving pastoral way brings greater division, greater schism, greater problems in that person and their family, wear and tear upon the officers. Like cancer, when it's not dealt with, it spreads, and many of us know that personally. We prepare for this, we pray about it. Why do we practice church discipline? It restores the offender. It deters sinners. It checks the spread of sin. It vindicates Christ's honor. It prevents God's wrath. And it's because Jesus commanded it. God loves you as the heavenly Father. My son, Hebrews 12, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. The Lord disciplines the one he loves he chastises every son he receives. It's for discipline you have to endure. God treats you as sons. What son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? Hebrews 12. Why does he discipline us? For your good, that you would share his holiness in me as well. For the moment, is it painful? Yeah. But later, Hebrews 12, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When these things happen, who is present, Matthew 18? God is present. The two or three in verse 19 and 20, we often refer to a church as two or three who are gathered. That's a part of it. But do you see who they are? They are the witnesses of verse 16. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 17, the witnesses to a trial would be the first to execute the penalty. Deuteronomy 17, verse 7. First to cast the stone. Now the witnesses are the first to what? To pray. We can't underestimate this. The prayer meeting each month. The personal prayers at home for each other. When we hear about problems, do we pick up a phone and text, or do we first pray? That's the point. Only God can change the sinner's heart. We need the Holy Spirit. God will answer according to his will and wisdom. We call on Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. We remember this is not Costco. This is not a gym. This is the church of the living God. God who has condescended to us and come near to us as we worship. God who hears the prayers of his people in the midst of painful church discipline processes. Jesus who loves his bride more than we do. Jesus who is more concerned about your sanctification and mine than we are. He's present when hard things happen. One man says, we're a family. God wants us to be united as a family. In many families, years and years go by when you just deny the issue. I heard this recently from a distant family of my own just painful bitterness over a dead sibling going back to 1972 it's still there the person died 10 years ago mutual accountability is hard the air needs to be cleared right in our marriages in our friendships in our church family god says I want you to grow, to seek the interests of one another, and not just think about yourself. To have a forgiving spirit as one who has been forgiven in Christ, who loved you, who died for your sins, who is raised from the dead, and who tells you by the Holy Spirit in me. 2 Corinthians. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. What is that? In the comfort that you've received by God. And from God. Agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Emmaus wrote, I'm encouraged. I see God doing this among us. This is not a sermon to pound and get flesh. This is a hard text. The easy thing to do is avoid it, especially on the last Sunday in the place we've been for four years. But the loving thing that God says for us is, this is for your good that we together might grow to be more like Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.